0: I'm going to take you into Psalm 145 today, and I'm going to especially focus on verses 14 through 16. I'm jumping around a little bit because I'm captivating those little paragraphs as testimonies of the greatness of our God and what He's done for us. And so we we looked at verse number 8 and 9 last week, His grace, His mercy, His goodness... And now we jump down to 14. The Lord sustains, or upholds. You might have the word upholds there. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Lord, Again, we enter into a psalm that speaks of your greatness, and how can we measure that? It's far beyond our words, our thoughts. And yet, we're going to give ourselves to that study again today, because it is one that lifts our eyes up to where you are. And that's where we're supposed to engage our thinking and our eyes, where Christ is seated, we're supposed to look above, so, of us to find our encouragement, our edification, when we focus on you. And I pray that you help us do that today. As we search out your greatness, may your name be glorified among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we met last week, you've experienced seven days. Seven days. 168 hours. What would you do with that? You had a lot of them. You had over 10,000 minutes to spend. You want to know the seconds? 604,800. One or two more. If your heart beats at the rate of about 80 beats per minute, whether that's fast for you or slow to you, you've had over 800,000 heartbeats since last sermon. 800,000. How many of those did the Lord give to you? Oh, I knew you'd say that. You're a good Bible church. How many of those 600,000 seconds was the Lord with you? All of them. All of them. All of them. You know, we live in a world that's trying its best to be independent. Independent of God. Independent of His ways. We know that. And it grieves you. I know, it grieves me. With the things we see in our society. It has a way of spreading to all the different ways we live. Where we work hard to succeed. And I'm going to use we for a minute. Maybe... Maybe we're part of this and maybe we're not. But there are some who really try hard to climb the ladder, right? Some, on the other hand, struggle. And we struggle at times to make ends meet. We strategize our days. We manipulate our schedules. We block out time for things that are important to us. We choose our company. Yet, in a very interesting way, they say that our society is among the loneliest societies that has been in history. And that's really an odd thing, considering how communication is so easy. At least it is on an iPad or a cell phone or such things like that. But they say loneliness is really uh, domineering in society today. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting concept. That's very interesting to think about. I think over the years, we've forgotten a lot about what is called interdependence. The Lord speaks about it. First Corinthians, for example, he talked about the body. You know what the body is? That's a body of believers, the church. And, and he goes on to say, "Where well, how can the eye say to the foot, I have no need of thee? And yet we operate that way. I'm still using that generic we, of course. At times it seems like we need to go to classes and have groups in order to learn how to fellowship. Isn't that a funny idea? Think about that for a few minutes. We have to learn how to fellowship, so we form fellowship groups to do it. Now, I don't think any church is really immune to that in our day and age. I suppose it would be easy if I started a list of challenges for the modern church. I know it would be on that chart somewhere. But what kind of caught my attention this past week, and it does kind of set me, it, it, it kind of hurts my heart to think this way and I think this through, but as a student of theology, especially I like to follow the history of theology and how things developed over the years and our understanding of things, I noticed that there is a similar issue that just seems to keep coming round and round. Over the last 2,000 years, it, it's come in cycles, or some people say more like ocean waves. It just keeps coming up and going back, and or some people liken it to a pendulum on a clock where it's all this way one year and then... Several years later, it swings the other extreme on the other side. And usually, and this is what I saw especially, there is a great push for man's independence. I want to explain that to you for a minute. Because where theology puts an awful lot of emphasis on what man can do, I believe we have a problem because when you use the word theology what does that mean study of god it's a study of god and how is it that in studying god we give so much attention to man this is what's been on my mind and and like I said it's even bothered me a little bit for several days here it was something i'd read and it was a doctrinal statement And it spoke very highly of men. It's on and on and on, point after point after point, as I was looking at this, man's ability in salvation, man's capabilities in choosing. it, It made me stop and think, who's running this place anyway? Really, when I stopped and looked at it and I said, what is this that we do? I don't need a refresher course on man. I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror every day and I see one. And when I see one, I say, wow, I know the heart of that person, and I know the ways of that person. And when I read Scripture, and then I go through the historical record of man, I'm not impressed. Are you? I mean, we've gotten to the moon and things like that, but honestly, I'm not impressed. You can be if you want to be about the study of man, but when I read Theology. I want to study my Lord. Not me. I know enough about myself. Let me learn of Him. This passage we're dealing with here in Psalm 145 is a theology. It's a study of our Lord. And that's what it ought to be. It ought to be. Yeah, we're in here. We're in here with ones who have mouths that are supposed to speak of Him not of us, of what he's done. You know what? If you go through here and try to picture what's man like in this psalm, you're not going to get a very impressive picture of him because he's always got a need. He's as needy as can be. And the picture of man in Psalm 145 is, is this, this poor, helpless, defenseless person that the Lord in his graciousness and in his mercy and, in his goodness and his kindness helps and serves and ministers to and builds them up and strengthens them and on and on and on and that 's why praise breaks out all over the place because of what he 's done, not because of us, not because of us. So I want to focus on something beautiful today, and that 's where I take you to verse number fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen It's another testimony about how great. Our Lord is. How great our Lord is. I give you the, just the first two words in my mind on my outline here. He sustains. He sustains. When I studied, started studying through this passage, I just kept looking for things like, He does this. He does that. He does this. And that's what brings me to verse 14. He sustains. Samach is a Hebrew word. It's an interesting little word. It means to prop. I think it brings some pretty funny pictures to my mind, personally. To prop. To prop. And and it's just exactly what you're thinking. Literally or figuratively, it's so that you have something to lean on. It's to establish. It's to uh, cause rest. It's to... To help them stand up, it's to sustain them. A prop is used on something that is falling or is shaken. It's the support mechanism that they might use on buildings or structures or, unfortunately, we know, on people too. We need things to hold us up. In our study of the Lord's greatness, David is very quick to point this out. That it's the Lord who does the sustaining. Because we are in danger of falling or being shaken. That's our part in the whole story. Is that we're the ones that he propped. He is the one who props. He sustains. Now, personally, I'll tell you something. I do not mind saying I'm dependent on the Lord. I do not mind confessing that to you. Because I am. I'm dependent on him for everything. And I trust him. I hope you do too. I've learned in some ways, and he's taught me in interesting ways, how I should trust him. And that's developing. And it's all developing for us to trust him more. Because we should trust him more. But I don't hesitate to say, he is the one I trust. He is the one that holds me up. When we put his actions of sustaining with his character of greatness, you find an amazing picture set before you. This is the Lord we talked about last week that exceeds in everything. We measure size and he is bigger, we measure depth and he is deeper. We measure the extremes in length, and he is longer. We talk about amount, and he is far more. We talk about height, and he is higher. We talk about strength, and he's more powerful. We talk about wisdom, and he is wiser. In every single attribute, he excels, and he exceeds. In every single one. And whatever we set next to him to make comparisons to, he goes far beyond that. And even our comprehension to understand it. And I don't mind that. I don't mind something that's way too big for me. That's what it is. Because as I said last week, if we set up a scale, use any instrument you want to measure with, your instrument cannot measure Him. It cannot measure Him. Nothing can encompass the greatness of our Lord. And another way of putting that into the picture today is that he doesn't merely meet your needs. He excels in meeting your needs. That's how he sustains. It goes far beyond, far beyond. It's the greatness of his ability to sustain us. Here's how I'm going to illustrate it to you. Put your bookmark here. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3 for a minute. Ephesians chapter number 3. Work your way over to verse 14. Let me introduce this little passage. We pray because we are needy people, right? That's what it comes down to. We have needs and we go to him to pray about it. Unless you want that whole lesson again, I could start James 5. That's what it's about. We're needy people, and we pray to Him, because we have great needs. And we pray about our specific need at times. And many times we also suggest in our prayers the best way to solve our problem. I don't know about you, but sometimes I suggest to the Lord, this would be the best way to do this. And usually it's not the best way to do it. He's got, a, He's always got the better way. And I appreciate that about him. He's very good to me that way. You say, yeah, you've got a good way. But you know what? That's not what I'm going to do. And he meets it better. But sometimes we suggest to him what we think. And in a humble way, we, we kind of say, Lord, just, just give us enough to help us make it through. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, He was talking about his prayer on their behalf. And not once are you going to read Paul saying, I'm going to pray that he gives you just enough to squeak by. Notice this prayer. Chapter 3, Ephesians, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, how much is that? Woo! To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and the, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That, that phrase in verse 19 just kind of makes me chuckle every time. And to know that which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far More abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When's the last time you prayed this for somebody? Or prayed this for a church fellowship? (laughs) That's a good prayer. That's a deep prayer. Go back to verse number 20. Let's mark some concepts here that are very important. They're simple, but we move through it fast, so we sometimes don't catch them all. First of all, he is able. He is able. I always say that's my theology in a nutshell. He is able. He is able. Now, he was able, and maybe, or I hope he can. Paul doesn't say that either, but I hope. I hope you can. He is able to do. Not just listen. Oh yes, he hears your request. But he's able to do. It's not that we just wish he could do it. He is able to do it. Right? He is able to do it. And then the adverbs all pop onto the page. I love them. How does he do it? Far more. Abundantly. You might have exceedingly. Abundantly. Beyond. All. That we ask. And we ask so little. And all that we think. And we think so small. His ability to do is the anchor of this prayer. As Paul is praying this, he says, that's why I don't hesitate to pray. Because he's able to do. And my prayers are puny. But he goes beyond. Because that's him. That's his greatness. It's always beyond. It's based on his power. Notice, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power. According to the power. There's your measuring stick if you want to know what can he do. You measure it by him, not by you. You measure it by him, not by history, not by experience, not by circumstances, not by great people here or there or anything else. Measure it by him. What he can do is equal to who he is. Wow, you want to talk big? It's based on his own power. How much is that? And believer, look at the end of verse 20 and ask yourself this question. Where is that power? Whoa. Within us? We need warning signs. Just think of that. This is the graciousness of our God. He dwells within us. Who is he? Some puny little thing that just can't do anything? No. The power of the omnipotent dwells within the believer. And we come to him with such puny puny request and we we phrase it in such ways that we oh Lord, (laughs) I hope you give me enough to squeak by. And look, here's his answers. This is a power. And you say, okay, well what does that go to? Verse number 21. It goes to his glory. You see it? It goes to his glory. His glory. This isn't to make you great. It's to show how great He is. He does it for His glory. Maybe it's better if we remember that. He doesn't sustain us simply because He can, and simply because He does, but He sustains us that we would render the glory to Him. It's to turn around and praise Him. That's what it's for is to give Him the glory. David says that all the way through Psalm 145. The Lord did this, so I could praise Him. The Lord did that, so I will praise Him. I want to praise Him. David repeats that over and over and over again in that Psalm. Verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day, verse 2 says, I will praise you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wonderful works, I will meditate. That means I'm going to take the time to think about this. I'm going to meditate on it. Boy, would that be a good practice for us to learn. To stop and look at what you've done with 600,000 seconds. And say, does he deserve the praise for that? Does he deserve my testimony of praise? My mouth, verse 21, shall speak the praise of the Lord. Who are we? Who are we that we take from his unlimited supply and never say thank you? You understand that you're never in any danger of draining his supply, right? You can't do it. It's it's not that I'm saying, go out and do what you want about that. I'm saying He's been giving to us and giving to us and giving to us and giving to us. Every single heartbeat that does go is from him. And how could we become callous to praising him? How can we stop and say, you know, I'm going to do this myself. I'm an independent person. Go ahead. Make your heart beat. Doesn't work, does it? You know it. You know it. I don't want to get far from our theme here this morning. It's a beautiful theme. In these verses you have in 145, 14, 15, and 16, there are five wonderful things the Lord has done. And I want to show them to you today. Five things mentioned in three verses that show the great sustainability of our God. The first one, of course, is the fact he sustains. He sustains. He upholds all who fall. All who fall. He raises up those who are bowed down. But the Lord sustains all who fall. Verse 14. There's something interesting about the word fall. You you would think, well, that's an easy word. Unfortunately, some of us know it too well. We fall. We know sometimes that has a lot more consequence than just falling on the ground. It would be very interesting to look up that word, which I did, and say, what does that cover? What does it mean? Well, there were so many different concepts behind the word fall it covers all these capabilities of being cast down of dying of things being divided and i said divided what's what's that all of i i just picture some poor person who who is losing things that have been treasures to them and it's being divided among other people I say, you know, that hurts the heart a little bit, doesn't it? Especially for some of us who have kept things and said, this is a memory of this and memory of that, and to see it all divided out. That's hard to see. That's hard for some people. We talk of times of inferiority. That's in this word. Times when we are judged. And sometimes unjustly judged. Sometimes we're judged by mistake. That's in this word. There are times when we must lay down. We must. That's in this word. There are times when we're lost. That's in this word. There are times when we're overthrown. Or we're overwhelmed. That's in this word. We've known things like this. Often, anything that's in this picture... Brings a great deal of pain. It hurts to go through these kind of things in life. You've experienced some tough days. I know you have. We have. It's like this picture. We fall. We fall. So what do we do? What do we do about that? Well, we get independent. That's our solution, right? We solve them with our own wisdom. We put our own power to it. We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. All those phrases. I've never done that before. Bootstraps. I don't. I don't know if I've even got any bootstraps. I just want to say something lovingly to you. When we do not respond to Him who sustains us, are we not robbing Him of the testimony that He deserves? We are called to publicly praise Him. And to do that might encourage others to publicly praise Him. And what do we teach the next generation who follows us if we're going to not depend on Him in our need? How are they going to learn to depend on Him in their need? He sustains And that doesn't stop. But it is something we need to stop and say, thank you, Lord. He sustains us when we fall down. We've all fallen down. He raises us up when we're bowed down. Also in that verse, 14. He raises us up, all who are bowed down. To bow down, that means something so simple. That whatever has been going on, it's been going on for quite a little while. For it to have created one who is bent under the load for some time, they're bent. Kind of like the trees in Oklahoma all lean toward the north. Why is that? It's a compass thing, right? Or is it because the wind's always blowing them there? I've got that pretty little flowering cherry tree in the front yard. I'm trying to keep. Taming it so it looks like it's normal. But it's like this, if you look at it. It's leaning. And I said, well, the wind's been working on that one for quite some time. You put any hard pressure on somebody. Some of you know this too. For many days, for many years, pressure, pressure, pressure bends people. It bends them. And maybe you felt bent by it. Maybe you are bent by it. You felt that. What do we decide to do about it? Oh, we learn to live with it. What does the verse say? Look at the greatness of our Lord. What does he do? He raises up those who are bowed down. I don't know how that exactly looks or what that would be. But I know there's been many times I've been crushed under a lot of things in different ways. And the Lord has been so faithful to me. To bring me through things. To not sometimes not leave behind the consequence of some things. To, to stand me up straight again after I've been hurt a great deal. It's an amazing ministry of my Lord to sustain me by raising me up. Raising me up. He's been so good. Think of the poor folks in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. Those last couple of verses of 8 starts in verse 21, moves into chapter 9, the first couple of verses. They talk about those who, who, well, it was their own fault. Let's just say that. It was their own fault. They turned away from the Lord. And this was what happened because they turned away from the Lord. Isaiah says, they have no dawn. I'd hate to go through life without a dawn where it's always dark and no hope of a daylight to come. They pass through the land hard-pressed, and they're famished, Isaiah writes. And it turns out that when they are hungry, what should they do? What should they do? Turn to their Lord who sustains them. But what does it say? When they are hungry, they become enraged. And they curse their king and their God as they face upward, isn't that a strange reaction? Say, but that's the way we do it in human life. We say it must be God's fault. That's what they did. Curse their God! I have a delightful little cat that lives with us. It's named Greta. You probably never see her because she hides every time people come over. But little Greta was not hiding this morning. She started about 4 o'clock in the morning. I kind, of, I kind of portrayed a little bit, but not much beyond what she is. She gets up, she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And she just wouldn't stop. And I got up and I said, what is wrong with you? And it, yeah, 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 All the way through the house and everything else and everything I tried did not work. And it was driving me crazy. I locked her in the back door. For a while, I said, "Maybe that would help. She almost beat it down. I let her out. she's just on and on and on, and I said, "Greta, what is it?" And I couldn't satisfy her. Then later, when I went to get dressed to come here today, I noticed her food dish was empty. You know what she wanted? Breakfast, but she wasn't going to let me get away with it. She just, she just sounded like this verse to me. She was hungry. And when she's hungry, she became enraged. Well, a little expressive, but you get the idea. We do that. We do that. I wonder if the Lord looks down and says, there they are. They look to the earth. They don't look to the Lord. This is interesting. Isaiah says, so they look to the earth. And what do they see? Distress and darkness and gloom and anguish. And they're driven into that darkness. And in chapter 9 he says, and they walk in that darkness. And he says, and they live in that dark land. Sin has a way of crushing us, folks. It does every time. It crushes, it crushes, it crushes. But when the Lord comes, when the Lord appears, he raises us up. What a merciful God we have. Because in that Isaiah passage in chapter 9, this is what happens. He says, these people walk in darkness, but they will see a great light. And those people who live in the darkness, the light will shine on them. And if you're wondering what he's going to talk about, he says in just a few verses, For unto them a child is born, unto them a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the paragraph. It talks about the difference the Lord makes when he comes. And verse number 3, it says this, And uh, you shall multiply the nations, you shall increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence. I stop right there. And I want to ask you, are you glad in his presence? Have you stopped and realized the beauty it is to be in his presence? That he would even think about us, care about us. This world celebrates the champions, the victors, the winners. They give all their attention to those who do well, exceed well, and are ranked very high. But if your team is 0-8 right now, you don't feel good. The Lord looks out for those who are bowed down. What a compassionate, condescending God we have. He could easily just pass by all who are weak and weary and worn out and on the end of their, their, their road. He could say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I like the champions. But that's not our Lord, is it? He goes to where they're hurting. He goes to where they're bowed down. And he raises them up. That's an amazing picture. And we've all known that. That he's done that for us. Have we stopped to say thank you? Have we stopped to say, Lord, I was so far bent, but I'm not beyond your reach to straighten me up. Isn't that a great thing to know? I think it was uh, Cory Ten Boom said something to the effect that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. He can help, and he does. Exceedingly. Consider, folks, how great is our Lord. Verse number 15 says He gives food at the right time. He gives food at the right time. I hope you're the kind of person who says thank you to the Lord before you eat your meals. I hope you are. Because He gave you that. He provides for you. It's, it's worth your time. Just stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for feeding us again. You know, you get into the practice of that, and you start to look at other things you should be thankful for, too. That's only one of a multitude of things the Lord has done. I'm going to read a psalm to you. If you want to follow, it's 104. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Only most of it. All right? There's a lot of verses. I'm going to stop at verse 29. But listen to all the things the Lord does. You ready? It's beautiful, beautiful psalm, 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heavens like a tent curtain. You lay the beams of his upper chamber in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messenger's flaming fire, his ministers. He establishes the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters are standing above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. The mountains rose up. The valley sank down to the place where you established for them. And you set a boundary that they may pass, not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. You send forth springs in the valley. They flow between the mountains. You give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkey quenches their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voice among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. Vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine that makes a man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains a man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds are build their nest in the stork, whose home is in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are refuge for the shepherds. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows its place, the place of its setting. You appoint darkness and it becomes night, to which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lion roars after his prey and they seek food from God. Isn't that cool? Just stop right there. Everything's been designed by him to benefit all these things that are living on this globe with, you, with us. God's been behind all that. And our science has done much to try to take Him out of the picture. He's done all this. Verse 22 says, When the sun rises, they withdraw, the lions do, and they lay down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. O oh Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, the great, and the broad... To which they swarm without number, animals both small and great. There are ships that move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed, in the uh, to sport in it. They all wait for you to give them food in due season. You give it to them; they gather it up. You open your hand; they are satisfied with good. You hide your face; they are dismayed. You take away their spirit; they expire and return to the dust simple picture. He opens his hand. He opens his hand and he sustains them. That's us every day, every second, every heartbeat. He opens his hand and sustains us. It's displayed all the way through Scripture. The Lord provides at the right time. At the right time. Every time The Israelites knew that, and they complained anyway. For 40 years, he sustained 2 million people with their meals every single day. For 40 years, he ministered to them. And what did they do? Complained, complained, complained. Do you think if he shows all this power and what he can do, he can feed you too? I've always been refreshed with the words of Hudson Taylor. He wrote this, and it usually applied to ministry, but it applies to so many other things. He said, You can count on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Never. You see, His glory rests upon it. His glory rests upon it. It's His testimony. It's his reputation. That he says, I will sustain. I will feed. Let our tongues be quick to say so. Let our, let our generation say it. So the next generation knows it. It's the Lord who has sustained us. The Lord has done this. And he's never stopped providing for us. The next two concepts are right in verse 16 and they're easy to show the sustaining ability of our Lord. He says, you open your hand and satisfy. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Notice again, when the words get real easy, I know we we go over them very quickly, but it's still the Lord who opens His hand. The Lord opens His hand. He always gives us what is good. He always gives in a gracious way. He always gives us in a merciful way. He always gives and gives and gives. And you and I know it. He satisfies. Here's a beautiful thought. You can see it four times in the Bible. Said practically the same way. It says in Psalm 22, 5, To you they cry out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. In Romans 9, 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And in Romans 10:11, the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be Disappointed. And it says it again in 1 Peter 2, verse 6. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Let me give my observations. first one is this. When we leave this earth and go up into heaven, we're not going to say, uh oh, like, that's not what I thought it'd be. You know, we were looking for, you know, something like the Holiday Inn Express or something, and we got a Motel 6. That's not what I was aiming for. I wanted to, We're not going to be disappointed. I think that every now and then I say, nobody's going to stand up in heaven and say, this is not right. I don't think so. But here's the other thing I really want to say. Satisfaction is not getting what we want. Satisfaction is only found when we believe in him. That's what the verse is saying. Those who believe in him will not be disappointed. It does not say, he who gets what he wants will not be disappointed. Because when you get what you want the next day, you want something else. But here's the fact. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Who is the focus on now? It's on him. Not on that thing. Not on that thing. You say, but I do believe in him. Good. How do you show it? How do you show it? When you fall, who picks you up? Who do you turn to when you need props? When you're bowed down, who do you ask to raise you up? When you're hungry, who do you go to to feed you? When you need provisions, whose hand do you reach for? When you need satisfaction... Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? There is never a deficiency in being dependent on the Lord. Never. In a small measure, I've tried to turn your eyes from us to him. Because I think that's what this whole psalm is wanting us to see. How great he is. And it's beyond our words. And even at the times when I say my words are not quite adequate, I know your heart knows the message. I know it knows the message. I hope that we're very quick to say, He is great. And we're not afraid to tell that to the next generation. Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. That you should love us, and do this for us, knowing who we are and knowing Lord how we tend to turn these things into our complaints we turn to things and and you fill us up and we look for things that we don't have you give to us and then we're always thinking of something else instead of you teach us to be grateful people may it just ooze out of us so that so much so that Our children see it and our grandchildren see it and they might learn thankfulness too. They might learn to praise your name. May we be testimonies of your greatness and may we be quick to open our mouths and say so. We praise you for this today. We needed this lesson. Apply it to our hearts and help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.